We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we read in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, for, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, I guess it's always been that way, um, where, you know, you see people that are ministering, and I don't know if you guys ever watch, like, TV, uh, where they have the Christian teachings, or maybe radio, or maybe you read the books, or whatever, you, you go to different churches and different things like that, you know, and there's always that question, you know, is the guy real? Is the guy sincere? Is he in it for the right reason? You know, some guys, they want to teach, they want to pastor, they want to be in that place for themselves. You know, they want money or they want recognition or they want fame or they, you know, whatever it might be, the accolades that sometimes accompany that position. And, you know, um, uh, some guys, this is straight out, they're in it for the money, huh? I mean, you see it. And they wear their Rolex and they say, hey, you can have one too. Let me just take all your money away from you, you know, and make me rich. And they're driving around in their Bentley. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, for us as Christians, it's hard. It's like, man, is this guy sincere? Is this guy real? And admittedly, because so many guys have gone in it to get rich, and a lot of these pastors, they go in and they, and believe it or not, they sleep with women in the congregation, and it's just horrendous. And so my heart goes out to you. Uh, I'm sometimes in the same place wondering, man, is they, are they real? You know, that, that was, uh, in one sense, the, the perspective that the Corinthians were being fed with Paul the Apostle. You know, there were guys that going into the Corinthian church that were kind of saying, this guy Paul, he's not real. You know, I, I, he's, uh, not, he's not good looking. You know, he doesn't speak that well. Uh, as a matter of fact, when he goes to Corinth, he doesn't even charge you guys for it. That's a bad sign. You get him for free, that's not a good thing, you know, and... And so they were kind of turning their heart, they were trying to turn the heart of the Corinthians against Paul, against the messenger, so that they could mar the message. Okay, so, you know, for us here, we, we got to test everyone. Of course, we want to know whether or not they're real. But be careful when people try to do that in a church, to turn your heart against the messenger so that they could mar the message. That's the devil. 
And that's divisive. And what Paul is saying is, come on, you guys know this. Verse 11, we went over it last week. The Lord knows me. The Lord knows I'm sincere. And you should know. If you listen to Christ and you listen to your conscience, you should know I'm sincere as well. That's what he says in verse 11. And then in verse 12, he says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. You know, and it was a hard thing. You know, Paul had planted the church and uh, he left and he did other churches. And so after he left, others came and said, hey, this guy Paul is not that good. You guys need to, you don't just need Jesus. You need some Judaism. And they were turning their hearts against Paul most of them had come around back to understand he was a sincere a teacher of truth, but there were still some that were still pockets of resistance there. And so here Paul is just basically saying, come on, man, you guys know this? And uh, he's, he's saying, you know, we don't commend ourselves, but there in verse 12, we give you opportunity to boast on our behalf. It's like my pastor if someone came up to me and they, and they talk, talk smack against my pastor, I would defend him. He's not a perfect man, but I know he's called and commissioned by Christ. I know he's sincere. I know he's appointed. I know he's anointed, and I would defend him. I would, like he says right here, boast on his behalf. That's kind of like what Paul is saying here regarding him, you know, regarding the ministry there in Corinth. You know, because what was happening was these guys were coming into the church and uh, apparently they had like uh, the look and they had the speech. Uh, those were things that Paul uh, kind of didn't have. Look at verse 12 again. We do not commend ourselves uh, again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf. Here it is that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. You know, there were guys that were boasting in appearance. You know, we have to make sure that we look beyond the physical and we look to the spiritual, that we look beyond the appearance with the eyes of our head and we look and see with the eyes of our heart. You know, when you saw Paul, here's an interesting thing. I kind of wish we had a picture of him. But he wasn't all that good looking. According to historical census, Paul was, was not necessarily a sight to see. Uh, he wasn't a polished preacher. He wasn't that great. Uh, he wasn't an eloquent speaker. He really wasn't. He was a good writer. And he was a good evangelist. But he wasn't like a great communicator. And he wasn't really all that good looking. Uh, part of the reason we know that, if you go over to chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10, Look at verse 10, it says, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. I mean, it's almost like they're saying, you know, the guy's a good writer, but he's ugly. <laughs> and he's physically, like, weak, and the way he speaks, man, I don't even know. He's just not like one of the orators. And back then, oration was a real, real big thing, you know, and... And so uh, I was reading one historical uh, resource, and it said this. It said, Paul was bald-headed, bow-legged, short, and he had a unibrow. <laughs> he had a long nose, and he was hunchback, 
and he was a walking scar. I mean, the guy had been through so much and beat up. In one sense, you could say he was deformed. And so you got this guy over here who's like, man, you know, the unibrow, the big nose, the bald head. He's just all thrashed, right? Like a hunchback. And then you guys, this guy over here, and we'll just say for all, I don't know, just to mess around, like Joel Osteen. Wow, look at his hair, man. Look at his teeth. Look at his smile. Look at his suit. Look at the show. And so you got Paul. He's preaching out of the tent. It's dusty and dirty and ugly. And then you got this guy over here. And everyone is flocking. The 40,000 every Sunday to the show. To the one who has the appearance. And what God is just basically saying is, Come on, man. Look at the heart. Look at the heart. Why is Paul doing this? What is it about this guy that moves him and motivates him? He wasn't all that good looking. The other guys were. He didn't put on a show. The other guys did. They boasted in appearance, but not in heart. And what we need to do is we need to look at things deeper. We need, with our heart, to look at their heart. Because that's the way that God sees things, and that's the way that God expects us to see things as well. You may not realize this or not, but you can see someone's heart. If you pray hard enough and you look deep enough. And that's what you need to look for. Because we're in a society that's very superficial. And I'm not saying that you can't try to look good. Don't get me wrong, man. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And comb your hair for, you know, for Pete's sake. And floss those teeth. And put that deodorant on. And iron that shirt, you know. And... (laughs) I'm not, I'm not saying you can't do that. You know, even me as a pastor, every once in a while I wonder, man, maybe I should wear a long sleeve or, 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 you know, a suit or something. You know, look more like a pastor. I mean, sometimes I'll go to do a hospital visit and I have some jeans, vans, and a t-shirt on and I kind of feel kind of funny, you know. But if it was an emergency situation and I didn't have time to go home and change and stuff, the beautiful thing is that I know that God doesn't see things the way that man sees The doctor may look at me funny saying, who is this guy coming here with a t-shirt? But God doesn't see me that way. God says, and I always try, Lord, let my heart be right in your sight. That's the most important thing. And these guys right here, they unfortunately, they bought such a foolish line looking at things just from the physical appearance. And they were judging things on the outside and not looking at the heart. Remember, you guys, God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, For the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And that's when he anointed David to be the king of Israel. That's when God raised up somebody that would save his people. That's when God found a, a young, you know, 12, 16-year-old guy. We don't know for sure how he but he was young. And he said, I need somebody to kill the giant. And the eyes of the Lord, they scan to and fro. And man, it's Eliab, the big guy, the buff guy. It's him, right? The Lord said, no, I've rejected him. Why? Because even though he looks good on the outside, his heart's not right. 
You know, there's this little guy over here who's writing songs and worshiping God out in the boonies, out in the desert. He's fighting bears and lions for little sheep. That's the one I want. That's the one that's going to kill Goliath. And his heart was right. And God went and God anointed him. And God appointed him to save Israel. God can do that with your life. God can do that with my life. Again, nothing wrong with taking care of the outside. I encourage you to do that. Give yourself some physical strength to serve the Lord. But more important than that is taking care of your heart. Getting your heart. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. You see, right here in the ministry, we see first thing so important is heart and sincerity. And then in verse 13, he says, For we are, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Second Corinthians, a lot of people see it. It's all about the ministry. It's all about the minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I do encourage you to know it has to do with heart and sincerity. And it has to do with love. Love, we're going to see later, that God has for you. And then love that you have for God. And then love that you would have for the people. Very, very simple. Right here, it's a passionate love. It's a crazy love. You know, he says right here, if you see us serve and it seems like we're crazy... Please know it's only to bring God glory. And if at other times you see us and we're kind of holding back and saying and maybe a little mellow, it's only because we feel at that point it's right, you know, uh, for you. We, we, we're doing this for God. We're crazy for God. And we're going to do this ministry for you. You know, the bottom line is if you serve the Lord obediently, wholeheartedly, passionately, obediently is the key word, then don't be surprised if some people think you're crazy. You know, yesterday I was over at a friend's house and they were playing some Christian music. And a song came on. It's an old song by DC Talk. Um, it was called Jesus Freak. Do you guys remember that song? Jesus Freak? Are you guys Jesus Freaks? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> That's actually a good thing, man. It's the crazy Christian. They're so strange. Can you believe this guy, man? He believes the Bible. And he takes it literally. And he tries to live his life according to the word of God. The world will call you crazy, right? I mean, later when Paul shared his faith in a public forum, they thought the same thing about him. In Acts 26, 24, it says, Now as thus he made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad or crazy. I mean, he was talking about Jesus, man. He's talking about his cross. He's talking about his death, talking about his resurrection, talking about judgment. And so when the king heard it, he's like, man, this guy's crazy. You've been studying the Bible too much. They'll call, they'll call us crazy. Not only will the world call us crazy, but I tell you what, if you're really living for the Lord with reckless abandon, even the church will call you crazy at times. You know, William Barclay said, the real enthusiast always runs the risk of seeming crazy to the lukewarm church. I mean, can you believe this guy, man? He's always serving. This guy is always praying. He's always reading. He's always witnessing. You know, he's always doing ministry. 
I mean, this is what happened to Jesus. We read it in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. His own people, his family. You're going to Bible college? What for? You know, you're, you're, what, you're going on a missions trip to Cambodia? Wouldn't you rather go to a vacation in the Bahamas? Yeah, I kind of would. <laughs> But right now, God's calling me to a missions trip to Cambodia. You know what? I remember one guy, I won't tell you who, he's, why are you going to go to Cambodia? Even when I came to Almani, you know, I came from a, um, a place where in one sense it was kind of comfortable, and, they, and they, they were just puzzled. Why would you go to Almani? And I said, well, because I love, God's calling me there. I feel this call. But to them, it made no sense. This is Christians. And then going to Cambodia, one guy said, why would you go to Cambodia? They said things about Cambodia that were not nice, about, you know, the weather and different things. And, and well, this is where God's calling us. They think we're crazy, you know? And when we see it, in Jesus' case, it says they were so busy, they didn't have time to eat. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20, and so, you know, you're not eating, you're, not, you're fasting. You know what? You're taking this overboard. And yet when I was wrestling, and there was those times where I had to make weight and I didn't eat, well, that was okay, right? Because you've got to make weight. But why are you doing this for, for Jesus? They think you're crazy. The non-believer will think that. The church will think that. And, you know, even the religious leaders said that about Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 20, you know? I mean, when you're serving the Lord with reckless abandon, don't be surprised if people think you're crazy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, I might look like a fool, but that's okay. I'll be a fool for Christ. I'll be a Jesus freak. Or like David. You remember when David was worshiping the Lord? Do you remember when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, he was dancing? Okay, now I won't dance because I have no rhythm. But, I mean, just dancing for the Lord, that's what I'm talking about. And so, you know, one of the gals is actually his wife. She looked at him and she said, you're, you're crazy. Because that's the way the world will see us when you're serious, sold out, sanctified, surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says here, you know, in verse 13. If we're beside ourselves, we want you to know it's for God. And if we're of sound mind, it is for you. You know, crazy love. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys heard of D.L. Moody? You probably have. He was ministering at his large Sunday school there in Chicago. And people often called him Crazy Moody. Imagine that. They see the guy, hey, there goes Crazy Moody. There goes Crazy Moody, right? That was his name. In the eyes of the world, he was crazy because what he did was he gave up a successful business to career to become a Sunday school teacher and then eventually an evangelist. But now as we look back, time has proven his decision to be a wise one. And today we don't know the names of the people who mocked him and labeled him and laughed at him. But we do remember the name of D.L. Moody, as the man who went down in history as a servant of the Lord who God used to save thousands of people. I have a feeling if it's going to be effective, it's going to have to be crazy. And that's where we need to be, you guys. You know, how does it start? It starts in there in verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ 
compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. The love of Christ is where it starts. You know, and that's where it can be a challenge, I guess. You know, do you guys know that God loves you? Do you guys know that He has always loved you? Do you know that He loved you before you were conceived? Do you know He loves you all the days of your life? Do you know He loves you all the moments in the midst of all the mistakes? and all the sins, and all the ways that you've gone wrong, and you've rebelled, and you've rejected Him? Do you know that His love for you is everlasting? That it's never changed? It never will change? Do you know that He loves you just as much as He loved Paul or Billy Graham? Do you know that He loves you as if you were the only one who has ever lived? He loved you that much? It's like the Amazon River flowing down to water a daisy. That's how much he loves you. Do you know that he loves you so much that he died for you on the cross? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is all over you. And I know for us, sometimes it's hard because we don't really live in, in, a, in that place of unconditional love. And most people, they deal with other people based on how they treat them. And so we kind of train ourselves to receive love in the same way. And we reciprocate it in that fashion. But we have to come to what the Bible says. And the Bible says, that God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Um, the Bible says in John chapter 13 that he loved them uh, to the guttermost. He loved them to the uttermost. He will always love you. Ha- have you let that love sink in? Have you really just stopped and, and thought about it? I know you're busy. And I know you've got a lot of things to do. Everybody does. But if you would just stop for a moment and consider his love, Because I'm telling you this, you're not going to go anywhere until you let that sink in. He loves you. He always has. He always will. And when you know that, then it says right here, for the love of Christ, it compels us. That word compels, it almost means force. It carries the idea of surrounding someone and squeezing them, squeezing you. And and maybe I can use the word hug you. Do you guys like hugs? All right, do you like, no, some of you are not like, you know, you're like that, right? Some of you guys are not really into hugs. You know, even my kids, I'm like, come on, what's wrong with you? You know, so you just want to, I don't know about you, but I just want to squeeze them. You just want to squeeze them, right? That's kind of what the word compels means. It means squeeze. And I don't know. I don't want to sound all weird or anything, but it's it's probably too late for that. God just wants to squeeze you. He wants to hug you with his love. And then when that happens, it leaves you no other option 
but to serve him. That's what this Greek word really speaks about. It's translated throng and press in Luke 8.45. It's translated surround and close you in on every side, Luke 19.43. It's translated to be hard-pressed in Philippians 1.23. You know, um, Paul here says that the love of Christ will squeeze us and leave us, in one sense, cornering us, leaving us no other option. When you let the love of God come in, you will never be the same. That's why, you know, every once in a while I see people, there's a handful of people over here, and I'm like, man, look at the way they serve the Lord. Look at their zeal. Look at their passion. Look at the way that they're like Jesus. And I realize the love of God has captured their hearts. And, and if you're not serving, then it's because you haven't really let that love sink in. You know, that's what we find. He says, the love of Christ, it, it compels me, it moves me, it f- controls me, it almost forces me to serve Him. You know, there's two great motivators in life, in ministry. One is found, if you look at your Bible in, in chapter 5, verse 11, it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. You know, and that's a good motive, you know, that the fear of God, man. One day, I'm going to have to give an account. And I'll just share this with you guys, man. As a pastor, I think about it all the time. I think about the fact that you guys are working and you're giving money so that I could pray and I could study and I could serve. And it it just grips me with fear. I, I, I realize that people are actually praying for me. And there's this, this fear of God that one day I'm going to have to stand before Him and God's going to say, what did you do with that money? What did you do with those opportunities to pray? You know, and there's a fear inside of me. But that's one motive. But the second motive is, is the love. And both are good. You know, how many of you guys growing up, your, your parents used to discipline you physically, corporal punishment. They, they spanked you. And hopefully they used the, the rod of discipline on the seat of understanding. Okay? That's the way it's supposed to be, parents. Okay? Don't hit your kids anywhere else. Don't leave marks on them. Uh, don't bruise them. But do discipline them, please. <laughs> You know, and so, you know, as you get older, um, you know, I know people that they never did drugs because they were afraid of their parents. Well, thank God for that, you know. It's actually a good place to be. They never got out of line because, you know, they were afraid that they would get that trancaso, right? And that's a good place. And the same is true with God. He will discipline us. But isn't it better, like, for those of you who are parents and you have kids, and then they are, one day, someone comes up to them and offers them, you know, some crystal meth or a line or a joint or a beer. And the th- wouldn't it be so cool if at that point they said no because they love your, they love their parents and they just think, I would never want to hurt my mom or dad. I love them. 
I would never want to hurt God. See, and that, those are the motivators in life. And that's the motive of the ministry. You know, when we have that heart, those motivators, and it comes in, and then it goes out, then what ends up happening is we live that life of reckless abandon. He says in verse 14, for the love of Christ, it's that love that compels us. It's the love that drives us, the love that moves us, the love that controls us. Because he, he said this, it's cool, we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live, here it is, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Bottom line is, Jesus has died for me. And when I stop and I just compute everything, and he says right there, we judge, we reason, you know, we think these things through. If it were not for him, I'd be in hell right now. If it wasn't for him, I'd, I'd be in jail. They'd throw away the key. If it wasn't for him, I'd be dead. If it wasn't for him, I'd have no life. But because of him, and he died for me, I have life. And that's what he's saying. And so we make this judgment that if he died for all, then all died. And, and now they live, but they shouldn't live for themselves. Oh, thanks for dying for me. <laughs> I'll see you later. And boom, you're out doing your own thing. We've got to be careful, man, that we don't do that. You know, what the Bible teaches that when Jesus died, we died with him. In Romans 6, verse 6, and Galatians 2, verse 20, that's a theological fact. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's a theological fact. But you have to take that theology, you have to take that belief and let it move to your behavior. And the way that Paul put it in Philippians 1.21, I think is the best way to see it. For me to live is Christ. Period. Not for me to live is Manny. Not for me to live as in, you know, you name whatever the name is and the other thing is that you get distracted with. No. Mom, dad, congregation, friends, family, I got to let you know that I live my life for Christ. We no longer live for ourselves. Paul said we have to live for him. It's a, it's a wonderful purpose, but it's more than just a purpose. It's a person. And we end up becoming living sacrifices. You know, we live through him. We live for him. And one day we'll live with him. And so when you have this heart of ministry, which is what Paul had, you know, things are going to happen. And let's close with two things. Number one there's going to be a new knowledge, a new perspective. Look at verse 15, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. It kind of goes back to appearance. You know, now that I'm living for the Lord, now that I'm living for Jesus, 
I don't look at things the same way I used to look at things. Like this guy cuts me off in the freeway. You know, before maybe I may have called him a funny name. Maybe you may have given him the one-way sign. Are you guys that are bad, right? <laughs> or he gave you the one-way sign. And you're like, here, let me show you what I, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? No, now what do you do? Now you're like, Father, forgive them for they know not how to drive, right? That's all you got to say, <laughs> right? And so you look at everything different, man. You, you walk by faith and not by sight. You walk for the eternal, not the temporal, right? That's the way it is now. I mean, we have a new knowledge there, he says in verse 16. It's much more than just the things that we see. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 4 in verse 18, he says, well, we do not look at the things which are seen. In other words, we don't really focus on that. You know, yeah, I see whatever, my bank account, but I don't focus on it. Yeah, I see that nice TV, you know, when I'm going to Best Buy or Sam's Club, I'm thinking, man, that would look really nice in my living room, you know. If I don't have the finances to get it, I don't, I don't like just window shop all the time, you know. We don't look at the things uh, which are seen, he says, but at the things which are not seen. That's where we're going to focus mostly on. Why? Because the things that are temporary, the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are, are not seen are eternal. You know, I mean, it's almost like if you guys knew this, you have supernatural power. You're like an X-Men, spiritually speaking. You can see the invisible. Do you realize that? You can see the invisible. You can see beyond that guy who you call bad or wicked, and you can see he's lost, and he has a soul. And you want to reach him and bring him to Jesus. You see, you know, beyond those things, you know? I mean, you see, and even Jesus, when he saw Peter... You know, and Peter was all messed up. Remember when Jesus went out and uh, he was on the boat with Peter and, you know, they caught the great big fish. And I'll bet you almost anything Peter was a drinker. Peter, Peter was probably, yeah, fisher's, fisherman's mouth, you know, or whatever. You know, he was probably all messed up. And, and Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, I want you in the ministry. I want you to be one of my main men. What did Peter say? Peter said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But Jesus said, no, you're not. You're a rock. You are a rock. You're strong. You don't see it yet. And your friends might not see it yet. Your family might not see it yet. But I see it. We have to see beyond the superficial. We have to see into the hearts. We have to see into God's eyes and God's will. We see the things that are invisible. See, that's what he's saying right here. Because of this ministry Paul is doing such a cool thing. He's got to write hard and he's sincere and he knows God's love and he loves God back and he loves the people. Then there's a new knowledge that comes in and then... There's a new nature. Uh, back in 2 Corinthians 5, we'll close with this. He says, Therefore, in verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That's cool, man. When God would use our life to bring someone to salvation, you know, that you would get out and get in 
to Christ. You know, are you guys in Christ? Are you saved? I hope so, because if not, then today's the day of salvation. I have a free gift for you. God has a free gift for you. It's free. It's called heaven. Anybody want some? It's called love. It's called freedom. It's called power over sin. It's called purpose. It's called forgiveness. And all you have to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner, which I'll tell you, you're a sinner. You, you probably know you're a sinner, though, and you need a Savior because your sins have separated you from God. Real simple. He's holy, no sin allowed in heaven. You've separated yourself from Him because of that sin. He died for you. He paid the price. They put Him in a grave. He rose again. And all you have to do is be willing to turn from your sins and trust in Christ and make Him the, you know, the shot caller. Make him the driver. Make him the Lord and Savior of your life. You repent and receive Jesus, and you can be in Christ. And when you are in Christ, it's so cool what he reads right here. He says that because those who are in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you're brand new, man. This is so cool. God speaks creation over you. And there's that spirit. The Bible says there's a new spirit, Ezekiel eleven nineteen, a new heart, Ezekiel eighteen thirty one. You're a new creations, Galatians six verse fifteen, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have a new life, and because of that, you're going to sing a new song. You're going to be a new man. You're going to be a new woman. You're going to speak with new tongues. You're going to have new mercies. You're going to obey the new commandment. You're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. You'll even have a new name in heaven. It's just so beautiful what God is doing. You know, I'm not sure, but I wonder in closing, I wonder if people maybe threw Paul's past at him. They said, hey, don't listen to this guy, Paul. Man, do you know what he did? I mean, homeboy, man, he was a murderer. He persecuted Christians. He was, he was against the church. You can't trust him. But you know what? That was before he was a Christian. See? And sometimes what happens is the devil might come up and he'll kind of condemn you because of your life before you were a Christian or anything about your past. And God says, no, you're, you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. You know, one of the most beautiful things about becoming a Christian is, uh, you know, and you can use this with any sin, you know, but, but he gives you a new start. And even if, let's just say before you were a Christian, you were sexually active, you know, when you become a Christian, that's all washed away. You're a virgin now. You're pure. All those things, they're gone. You know, three things about being a new creation. Number one, the past. Uh, conversion means that your BC days cannot be counted against you. So don't ever let the devil, you know, remind you of that stuff because it's all washed away. And Jesus has forgiven it and he's forgotten it. But number two, here's something to think. Not just your past conversion, but your present conduct. You're new in Christ. So don't go back like a dog to its vomit. Those things are passed away. You shouldn't be getting high anymore. You shouldn't have sex before marriage. You shouldn't be getting drunk anymore. Those four-letter words shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. 
you know, you're, those things have passed away, right? I mean, be careful that you don't go back uh, for a blast to the past. Uh, we have that story in the book of Genesis when they were coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were coming out of judgment, and the angel said, hey, don't look back. But you guys remember what Lot's wife did? She looked back. And, and literally in the Hebrew, she was going to go back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. So when you're a new creation, all things passed away, behold, all things have become brand new, it means, number one, a past conversion, number two, a present conduct, Act like Christians now. And then number three is a perpetual covenant. And by that, uh, a lot of people believe that when Paul is writing this, and these guys were giving him problems in the church, that some people were trying to take him back to Judaism or back to religion. And you guys, we have a new covenant now. Isn't that cool? I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I thought I had to go to confession. I thought I had to do the sign of the cross every time I heard a siren and wear a scapular and hung a rosary on my mirror. And I like the stained glass windows and religion has its appeal. And the devil will try to take you back to the law, back to Judaism, back to those things. Don't let him. You're free. Now the good works that I do is not to earn my way to salvation, not to earn my way to heaven, now the good works that I do are only because I'm going to heaven. So whatever you do, don't go backwards. My, my encouragement to you is to go forward in this relationship that you have with God. It's just sweet fellowship. We have now a new knowledge in verse 16 and a new nature in verse 17. And the cool thing about the Lord, you guys, don't you guys like this? Is, uh, is there's like this great newness about him that never goes away. Uh, how many of you guys here ever bought a new car? Not that many of you. <laughs> have you ever been in a new car? <laughs> you know how it smells? But then eventually it goes away, huh? That new smell goes away. And so now they have those air fresheners that smell like new cars. And so you can get that if you want to. But... You know, that the new start, I don't know about you, but in my life, I just feel like every day is new. And I feel like there's different seasons I go through in the church and in my family. Things. It's just so new. And that's what God wants to give us, you know. Let me, let me close with something that can be a little bit difficult uh, for you. So you can close your eyes if you don't want to see this, but we're going to show, not yet, we're not yet, we're going to show a picture of a guy who shot himself in the face. And uh, it was an it was a, a accident, but he shot himself in the face, and, uh, and he just lived like, I think it was a decade, he lived 10 years in isolation. I mean, he was just tortured. He had nothing, right, nothing. And then one day there was a young man that died. And the young man that died, he gave this guy his face. And I, mean, I don't know if you guys know, but they can actually do face transplants now. And, and, and so he took his face and he put it on this guy that, that, that shot himself. And, um, and now he has a new life. So now we can show you the picture and you guys can see it if you want to. You can close your eyes if you don't want to. But um, 
I was just thinking about this, the parallel, how that is, in one sense, what's happened with us. You know, without Jesus, seriously, just in case you've forgotten, without Jesus, where were you heading? Where were you going? Without Jesus, what was going to happen to your family? But now that you have Jesus, he's given you new life. Don't forget that. And the beautiful thing about the Lord is this. He doesn't just give us a new face. He gives us what? A new heart. A new heart. You guys walk in that. Walk in that. Newness of life. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for the new start that we have, Lord. Thank you. You took my horrendous, wicked awful heart and you replaced it with a heart like yours a heart that's soft a heart that's yielded to you oh lord i pray that you bless your people here today and that they would know lord your love for them that they would let it sink in and then they would let that love do the work that you wanted to do in their life I believe, Lord, you're raising up an army. I believe, Lord, you're raising up mighty men of valor, mighty women of valor, men and women who are beginning to understand the great love that you have for them, the great love that has been demonstrated on the great cross of Calvary. And I just pray, Lord, young and old, those that are brand new Christians, those that have been walking with you for decades, I pray that we would all catch a fire Lord, that we've never had before. I pray that the world, maybe even the church, would have reason to accuse us of being crazy. We love you. Let it be a radical love. Bless your people. And I pray especially for any hurting hearts that are here today, Lord, people that have gone through or are going through hard times. Lord, be their strength. Wipe away their tears. Pick them up and just tell them the things that you've told me. And this too will pass. This too will pass. And I still have life for you. Lord bless your people. And I pray again if there is anyone here today who doesn't know you. That today, right here, right now, Lord, they would give you, give you their heart. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.